Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing this beautiful Friday afternoon? I'm good, Justin. How are you? I am doing well. Oil prices are down, but my spirits are high. That's kind of, you know, poetic, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, we've taken a hit. Obviously, the coronavirus is out there. In fact, I flew back from Calgary yesterday, and uh, the amount of uh, surgical masks in the airport, I think, is at an all-time high. So I'm, I'm actually very diligent with washing my hands, making sure it's clean, because, you know, God forbid that happens here in the U.S. Everyone's going to, it's going to be a bad deal. So hopefully everything's, hopefully we've got everything under control. But I don't know. Yeah, I hope the, you know, certainly thinking about the medical community and hopefully the ones that are putting in those hours are uh, finding them some extra juice somewhere to stay energized. And then the ones doing the research, hopefully come up with something that deals with this soon. So yeah, no kidding. I know it's been all over the news and it's getting beaten to death, but uh, unfortunately it's made a pretty significant impact on a number of levels, but everyone out there just stay safe and uh, you know, get your immune systems boosted. Um, Matt, I'm really, I'm pumped. You know why? Why is that? So I had a, I got a phone call from, uh, from an, from a customer, uh, not too long ago. It was, what was it? So it was, I think it was Monday and I'm not going to mention who it was, but, uh, he had been looking, so he was on the operator side, then jumped onto the service side. And then since then has been really just trying to get back onto the operator side. But with today's landscape, it's been pretty tough and there's quite a few engineers, you know, trying to navigate the waters and get back to what they, you know, what they do best drill wells. And, um, he, uh, he had an interview, uh, in Midland. And he called me before, just asking some questions because it's, we're familiar with the area that, you know, he's looking to get into. And, um, he said he listened to the flow line all the way from Oklahoma city to, uh, to into Midland and, and just trying to get himself schooled up. And, uh, he called me after his interview and, uh, he just, he was just pumped and he's like, Justin, you know, I just can't thank you enough for, you know, everything you guys do at the flow line. He said, uh, and then talking to you, you know, about direct emulsion, just understanding, you know, all the ins and outs. And he's like, I re-listened to the oil base one and he named off a bunch of them. And, and he said the flow line gave him the confidence to go into the, to his interview. And he says he knocked it out of the park. So like, how cool is that? That's the dream, right? Yeah. Educate the oil field. Yeah. No, I just thought that was so neat. And so, you know, for everyone out there, uh, we appreciate the support. If you'd like to leave a review or any feedback, again, it's certainly welcome and appreciated. And in fact, uh, if you leave a review, hit me up and I'll buy you a coffee. Coffee for reviews? What do you think? I think we're allowed to do that. Ah, why not? We've been compromised enough, as it were. What's a couple of more cups of coffee? <laughs> exactly. No, it's, uh, again, we appreciate the support. Um, I wanted to mention, too, there was a, a gentleman named Thomas Cannon uh, we did a tool compatibility episode not too long ago, and one thing that he uh, brought up actually on LinkedIn was the compatibility with LCM, certain LCMs within tools. So uh, again, thanks for that added uh, information. It's certainly with compatibility, making sure you've got the right um, concentration and sizes is always something you need to, to be mindful of, with, especially with directional tools. Uh, so Matt, enough of that. Uh, what do you want to talk about today? Well, I was actually talking to someone else the other day, and um, 
he mentioned that he said, you know, I talked to a lot of people like your podcast is one of the few things we have to the, that I've come across for people who don't know anything about oil and gas to learn something. Right. Um, and he really enjoyed the episode we had with Baxter and we need to get him on again soon. Yeah. Um, but when Baxter can't sit in and really make this thing shine, it's up to you and me. <laughs> and he said, could you take me through just the basics of drilling a well out in, let's say, the Permian Basin? And so what I thought we could do is basically kind of do the 30,000 foot, all right, we're starting here, we get all the way to TD, and, you know, and, and quite honestly, I think this is one of those that anybody listening, we'll, we'll cover everything we can off the top of our heads, but at the same time, I can very easily imagine some folks coming forward and saying, you know, you forgot about this, so you really should have mentioned that. So this conversation may continue, <laughs> right. but I think, Justin, if you could take us to, let, let's just start with... We know where the oil is. You know, we know we got to drill a well, uh, a typical Permian Basin. Let's even go to the Delaware Basin just to kind of narrow it down a little bit. Yeah. Um, case study where we prepare the location. Let's start there and let's drill a well. Right. So obviously with that comes, you know, what do you use to drill it with? You use a drilling rig. A lot of the rigs we're using now are the big triples, you know, 1500 horsepower rigs, you know, they're, they're, they're the ones that are drilling the two mile laterals and, you know, sometimes even longer. So you selected the rig, you do what you call it is rigging up. And so basically it's like a bunch of Lego pieces, you slam it together and uh, you've got this huge machine that allows you to drill. Uh, So, you know, and what they do is, and especially in West Texas, it's actually fairly easy to prepare a location in other areas, such as the Rockies, Pennsylvania, Canada, uh, you're drilling on the side of mountains. So you got to, you do a lot of like well site construction and the, the location is called a lease. And so uh, lease preparation is certainly something that uh, can be challenging. But in West Texas, for all extensive purposes, it's flat, it's easy. So they just, I don't even, a lot of times I don't even think they do much preparation. They just, they go in um, and they know where they're going. So then they'll spot the rig uh, and you'll drill what we call surface hole. Um, and so Matt, why don't you go ahead and describe what is surface hole? So surface hole well, well, jumping back to your, your rig mention, so mm-hmm. we call them a triple. It's because it can hold three joints of pipe in the derrick. Good point. Um, there's doubles, there's singles, um, but basically that means how many times I got to screw pipe together while I'm drilling. Um, all that being said, the triple or the typical rig that we're using um, has a higher day rate. Uh, so it's not uncommon for in, on the lo- lo- in, in advance of bringing that rig on location, we actually bring out what we call a sputter rig which is basically a cheaper to operate well that doesn't have to carry as much heavy pipe or anything like that. And it basically will drill what we call topple or the, the surface uh, section. Mm-hmm. And the surface section is pretty basic. Um, in essence, what we're drill- doing is we're drilling a large hole that, um, you know, shallow set, as we call it, might be what, about 400 feet? Yeah, like, well, that, yeah. So, and, and it depends, like conductor you set, which is even before surface. So I guess maybe even mentioning what conductor is, a lot of times we'll put conductor pipe in and then drill surface. So that can be anywhere from 20 to 40 feet. And then, mm-hmm. and that's, so surface hole, like you're mentioning, can be anywhere from 400, 1500, 2500 feet. Um, and, and that's just dependent on the operator's well design, but, uh, out in, you know, out in the Delaware, 1500 feet is, is pretty typical. And yeah. that's anywheres from 17 and a half inch hole diameter, uh, to 12 and a quarter. I don't think folks are drilling much slimmer than that. And we'll, you know, we'll describe why, uh, later on. Uh, 
Um, but and, and I guess Matt, I don't even did we even mention why they you know what spud means because <laughs> you said sputter rig and i don't know maybe for folks out there they're not sure what the term spud even means well i mean spud is getting the well started right yeah um, and it's funny because even on the mud side of things when we're set we call our first load out the spud load right um but spud is when we're going to get started and so a lot of folks like for our personnel we say what's our spud date yeah which means hey when do i need to be out there because probably a couple of days before that to make sure everything's in order for us to get going exactly um so we've drilled forward and reverse already we, we've <laughs> Uh, yeah. we, we drove our conductor 20 to 40 feet. We've, we, we start drilling our surface section. And, and really, uh, the one important thing is this is actually a fairly bland drilling interval. And, and that's because we have to protect the water table. So a lot of the depth is driven by where the you know, subsurface aquifer might be, which means the fluid that we drill with is generally fairly benign. It could be as simple as what we call a gel mud, which is basically clay and water. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're... We're drilling this, in essence, just to get a section that covers up and protects that water-bearing zone um, so that when we drill lower down, we can, you know, we can do other things. But up until this point, you know, regulators typically set what depth we have. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't take long. The ground is soft. The drilling is fast. Yeah, it can we take anywhere from one to two days, roughly. And, yeah. then, and then, so we drill it. Uh, we get, you know, we got our pipe in there. We're drilling away. And then, you know, to continue, we have to set what's known as casing, which I'm sure most people uh, know. It's a steel straw, basically, Mm -hmm. and it it helps keep everything intact. Um, And then, uh, you know, once you you drill the well, you clean it out, then you pull out all your drill pipe and your bit, and then you have your your open hole is what they call it with with the rock is, is exposed. And you drive, or you drive, you, you, you run casing. So you do that. And then once you've run casing into the ground, then you go ahead and you cement the casing. And that's basically pumping cement down the middle of the straw and then outside. Because the casing is generally smaller. Well, it always is smaller than the open hole size. So if you're drilling with 12 and a quarter, you might set 9 and 5 eighths casing. For example, I know there's lots of different casing and hole sizes out there. But for all extensive purposes, your hole size is going to be bigger than your casing. Then you cement that casing. And by that, I mean. You have uh, between the the rock and the casing is going to be cement, so it holds it in place and it makes sure that nothing uh, goes into the formation. And Matt, how else would you describe ca- the cement? I'm trying to be as very generic as I possibly well, can. The cement is basically the bond between the rock you drilled out and the pipe. So much better said. Yes, <laughs> and, and you know, so so we might pump that cement down the pipe. But we only want it on the backside. We call it annulus, and that's as you mentioned, the space between that pipe. And the rock, so the yeah. inside of it will still have fluid in there or something. Um, and uh, you know, one of the the important things when we're protecting this aquifer is is basically, you know, if I can get, I want to make sure I have cement all the way to surface, so I know that cement is completely covering that formation. Um, and we'll even uh, when we have our cement in place and everything, we can do tests to make sure of the integrity by, for example, pressure testing. Uh, where we apply pressure, hold it, make sure everything's there, you mm-hmm. know, held, held up. And then we're, we're ready um, to drill the next interval. Right. And there's a lot that happens in between. There's, you, you just, it, it takes usually a day and a half or so, sometimes shorter, but by the time you do your, your cement, you wait on cement, and then you go ahead and you drill the next interval, which is known as the intermediate section. Um, and, and that's basically to get from 
the surface hole all the way to the pay zone. Sometimes there's two sections, sometimes there's one, but to keep it simple, we'll just assume there's one. So you drill out, and again, it's going to be typically a smaller hole size. Um, it's always going to be a smaller hole size than your surface. So um, out in the Delaware, we mentioned it's anywhere from 12 and a quarter inch uh, to eight and seven eighths, eight and a half, eight and three quarters. Um, I think there's even a, some folks drill a little bit slimmer, but uh, I would say majority drill within those ranges. Um, Matt, what are some of the challenges or, or what can we, I guess, expect when drilling the intermediate section? So in the Delaware Basin, you can expect a nightmare, um, right. to put it lightly. So, so this is a really, so the idea of drilling this all in, in one run is, is basically, I mean, besides that it's cheaper, it's if we can isolate all this stuff before we drill our, our final pay zone, um, I don't have to deal with any of this while I'm drilling the pay zone, which is the most important part, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, first we drill out, we, we drill out, there's a little bit of cement in the bottom of the casing. We call that the shoe. We drill that out. And, uh, normally you're into a bunch of interbedded salt layers. Um, and the challenge there is, well, there's really two. One is washout. So if I drilled with fresh water, for example, um, I might actually rinse and dissolve this salt. And then I have a huge cavernous opening that when I have to go to cement the next casing string, I'm going to need a lot more cement. Mm-hmm. And it could be hard to get a good cement job. Um, and then the other thing is the salt isn't really like, it's not like drilling through a giant chunk of salt. It's very kind of, I don't know, crumbly. Is, is, and, and so it can be kind of unstable. It can fall in on you, that sort of thing. Um, and so you, you've got to drill through that. A lot of times we drill with saturated brine with the idea that the brine is so full of salt that you won't have more salt. Yep. dissolving into it um and then we'll start entering some some interbedded shale sand sections and uh, i mean there's even some carbonates there um but uh when we enter the the delaware series the delaware mountain group as they call it uh that they're pretty highly depleted so they used to have oil in them mm-hmm. um and they've now become very popular disposal zones for produced water uh which means that they're overpressured due to you know, man-made induced pressures. Uh, and now you could take flows. If you're near one of those disposal wells, it can actually flow from that into the wellbore you're drilling. Um, it could just be overpressured in the first place. Um, and so there's a huge fight to control that along with, there can be H2S, um, hydrogen sulfide gas, which is poisonous. There's, uh, very frequently carbon dioxide gas. There's just a lot of things to deal with. Um, getting through there. But as we get through that, we start heading towards our pay zone. Um, And it may not be every time. Some folks like to do this in the production interval, but for the sake of our conversation, let's pretend that we're actually going to build our angle and go horizontal um, in this interval. And so, Justin, why don't you describe a little bit about building directional angle? Yeah. So uh, as Matt described, you're, you're, you're drilling vertically which is straight down. And then in order to get to a horizontal uh, directional profile, you, you drill what's known as the curve. And it's, it's basically, you know, going straight and then it bends going into 90 degrees uh, of horizontal. And how we do that is we use, which is called directional tools. And um, so what that is, is typically it's called a mud motor and it's got a, it's a tool. So if, if you can picture at the bottom of your drill string, which is all the pipe, you have a bit and then you have a bottom hole assembly. And that's a bunch of expensive tools that allow you to 
directionally drill. And one of the key components to that is called a mud motor. And what it is, is it's a, it's a bent piece of pipe for a, just a very generically way of describing it. And what happens is when you pump fluid down the inside of the drill pipe, there's a bunch of mechanical, I don't know, how would you describe it? There's a bunch of stuff going on inside yeah. that make the bit turn. So essentially you're not turning the whole drill string to drill vertically, but you're actually leaving the drill string in one, pl- it's not turning, and, but the only thing turning is the bit, and that's being forced by the mud motor. And so you need drilling fluids and you need a certain amount of pressure and flow rate in order to turn the bit so that you can, as because it's a fixed bent piece of pipe, so if it'll it'll continue to as you push on it, it'll want to build angle. Hopefully that describes it, Matt. Can you add to that to help people out? I mean, that's the best and most simple way I can put it. Yeah, I mean, you've got you've got that bent piece of pipe if you think about it, and it's got the bit sticking off the end of it a little further down. Right. You pump as you pump fluid down, it forces this thing to rotate. So, so when I'm building angle, we call it sliding, at least with a mud motor. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually just trying to put that weight on it. And, and you can imagine if you were sort of pushing at the bottom of the hole, it would start angling on you. Right. So they're just sort of doing that on purpose. Um, and there's ways to, you know, measure how much we're building, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Right. And, and I guess to add to it, it's not, it's not, it doesn't look like a, like a hockey stick. It's not bent like that. It's like 1.5 degrees to, I'm not a directional guy. So all the directional folks out there, they're probably laughing at us right now, but it's a very slight bend because you obviously can't go into the hole with an extremely bent piece of pipe because it won't go down. And then on top of that, it'll just be impossible to drill. So normally you'll drill on like 10 degrees per hundred feet eight degrees per hundred feet. And so you could, you, by the time you are going from vertical to start building angle, which is known as the kickoff point, you drill from the kickoff point to the landing point, And that's basically the section going from vertical to horizontal. And that normally takes anywhere from eight, you know, seven, 800 to a thousand feet of measured footage. So it's not it's not like you're going and then all of a sudden you hit the brakes and in steer and you're turning Bust like a hard, right? Yeah. It, it's a very gradual angle. So, um, and be, by doing that, that allows you to go in and out of the hole with your drill string and your casing. Um, so once we get to the landing point and not everyone drills all the way to 90 degrees, some drill to 30 degrees, some drill to 70 degrees. It really just depends on the well profile and 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 what the operator is trying to achieve um again we could go into the weeds with that but essentially that's the whole concept and so once you get to your landing point which is the end they call that also they call it intermediate casing point um we'll clean the hole make sure it's empty of all the debris and the cuttings we'll come out and then we'll run what's known as intermediate casing Uh, again it's smaller than the open hole which it needs to be we get down and then we go ahead and we cement the uh, the casing in place. Uh, oftentimes challenges with that is like Matt described through the Delaware series, those zones that have a high tendency for loss returns, a lot of times you'll cement and you'll start losing cement as you're displacing it up the, you know, uh, the annulus. So it's not just a one-time shot. Sometimes they'll have to do two different style cement jobs. They call that a two-stage cement job. But for all extensive purposes, you cement the intermediate casing in place. Matt, anything to add? 
No, I mean, I, I think the big thing is if if you don't know anything, a lot of <laughs> a lot of folks always ask me, so like the pipe just bends that much? It's like, yes, it does, but bear in mind we're going, as you mentioned, eight hundred, a thousand feet. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it's it's one of those where, with respect to the you know the intermediate, what we're trying to do is just get down there and kind of get us off on the right foot so that we can get to the whole reason we're drilling the peso. Right. And one thing I will add too is, is as you're drilling deeper formation pressures typically get higher and that's, there's a pressure gradient. So as you get deeper pressures get higher. So the density of the fluid, as you get deeper, typically increases. Just wanted to, cause we're a mud group here. I just wanted to mention that the density and well control is certainly extremely important as you get deeper because you can start taking some very high pressure uh influxes and and what that means is sometimes you'll be drilling with a with a certain density fluid out in the permian it could be anywhere from an eight and eight point eight pounds per gallon up to ten and a half eleven depending on how deep you're going but a lot of times those those really deep formations are highly pressured. So you, you need a certain density to control that. So that's something that's extremely, extremely important as you get deeper. Matt, what do we do next? Uh, let's drill the pay zone. That's where the money's made, everybody. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is, as miserable as the intermediate is, not to say that I want to take it for granted, but the horizontal section is typically... I mean, there are things that can happen, but a lot of it is just, you know, drilling and staying on target. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, direct, at this point, a lot of times that we call it directional control, where I'm actually just trying to stay on the, you know, path that I plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and you may do some corrections with that motor. You may do some other things. Right. If you can um, picture a sandwich, you've got your bread, and let's make a very simple sandwich. Your bread, bologna and bread. You want to stay in the bologna because that's where the oil is. I need to keep using that. That's, that's really good. <laughs> stay in the bologna. Yeah. Uh, again, and again, I may be talking way too simplistic, but, but I've had to describe it like that. You have a yeah. sandwich and you're drilling into whatever you want to call it, just to keep it bologna, but there, there's a small window of opportunity there. So you don't want to, you can't just go ahead and start drilling horizontally and not knowing where you are. So there's a lot of data that is constantly being collected as we're drilling to know exactly where we are in the pace. Yes. And it's critical if you think of these unconventional wells, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more, but a lot of times these wells are pretty close together Yeah, and they're supposed to be spaced out fairly evenly to maximize the return. And so in light of that, you really want to stay in your lane because then you've got a well next to you that's got to stay in the same lane and, or stay in its lane and then, and so on and so forth. Um, but we are drilling. I mean, Typically, these laterals could be a mile, but a lot of times we're looking at two plus miles now. Yeah. Um, and uh, in light of that, a lot of the, uh, it's pretty common just because of the torque and drag, especially think about that pipe bending and that build section, everything. Mm. Um, we need to get weight on the bit so the bit will cut rock. Right. And um, so low torque is good and, and oil-based mud is really good for that. Yep. Um, along with other reasons we've described before, but um, but that's one of the primary drivers, I would say, for those longer laterals is just the inherent lubricity of the drilling fluids that are used. Yeah, no, the, the, the fluid itself is, is, is really important. Like Matt described, uh, I would say 99% of the, the horizontals, um, and, and I'm speaking strictly on Wolf Camp, there's different benches, um, and by that, 
I mean, different formations that operators will drill to produce oil out of. Um, some of the shallower ones, like the Bone Springs, the Avalons, uh, you can drill those with water, which mm-hmm. most of the time we drill it with brine. Um, but but the Wolf Camp, which most people are familiar with, or even you know Bone Springs, but the deeper Bone Springs and the Wolf Camps are are most always drilled with uh, with oil based drilling fluids. And, and and again, because of the lubricity and and your ability to steer, and by that I mean uh, you know you're basically steering your your drill bit and you're you're driving it to make sure you get to the right target and which they've kind of predetermined with geology and reservoir and 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 they've determined okay here's your here's your finish line get there and and don't get off target and if you do we need to make some corrective actions which um over the years which is why rotary steerable has become such a popular uh piece of equipment and what that is is instead of using a mud motor you're using a rotary steerable, uh, it's called an RSS assembly, and you're basic, You're able to rotate and steer at the same time. Um, it basically that, has some pads on the end of it. I mean, there's yeah. there's other ways these work, but basically some pads that would push against the wellbore up really close to the bit, and if you only push on one side, the bit's going to drive one way. If you only push on the other side, the bit's going to drive the other. Yeah, That's the most simplistic way I can describe it, but, you know, when we talk about you know, that mo- mud motor and trying to build angle, that sort of thing. Sliding is very slow. Right. Um, the other thing is I can't actually, um, I, I, um, I can't rotate my pipe, which is important for hole clean. Correct. Rotary steerable, I can do all of those things. It's just like I'm regularly drilling ahead. So it tends to be faster um, and it, it tends to uh, less have risk. Less risk. Um, you know, they're expensive. I, th- I think the, the yeah. limiting factors have been the cost. I think they've gotten more reliable, but, um, you know, I talked to one drilling engineer and he sort of joked to me that, you know, when we're on bottom, we do drill much faster than using a motor. However, it, yeah. I got to stay on bottom. And when these tools break and I have to come out of the hole, um, and get another one, I, it slows me down. And so, yeah. um, but motors as, as unconventional have taken off, you know, mo- mud motor technology has actually improved too with, you know, more power and, yeah. some of the other things they needed to to stay in the game right and and i know all the directional folks out there and even drilling engineers this is a debatable topic so we're we're not you know advocating one is better than the other but certainly there's two typically those are the options out there and then some work better than others but it depends on the well and the different case and stuff i was i have a customer that we almost 90 all is all the time drill with rotary steerable well there was a situation where we had to go with conventional mud motor and lo and behold, we had a record-breaking well. So it just depends on the situation. But We'll let the audience decide. <laughs> we are not calling the shots here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're just the ones that are putting the mud down hole. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're drilling ahead. We get to the end of, uh, you know, which is the end of the well, which is called TD, which is known as total depth. Uh, you get to that point, you clean out the well. And uh, I-, I was just going to say, yeah. you know, Getting it, like I said, it's a little bit easier, but I do want to go over with you a few of the things that we encounter while drilling. You know, I know. For sure. Yeah, I might so have jumped ahead there. <laughs> different levels of the wolf camp, I think. You know, you can have, um, you know, there's A, B, C, D, it, you name it. There's new Greek letters, I think, coming up every day, <laughs> yeah. depending on who's drilling where. But, uh, but um, so the very first thing I think we encounter sometimes is well worn stability, where we have to increase the mud weight. It's typically mud weight driven. Yeah. Um, but, Probably one of the biggest 
other nightmares are drilling through fractures and taking frack hits. And I was wondering if you could take us through that, Justin. Yeah. So there's, so believe it or not, there's actually um, naturally occurring fractures that happen uh, inside rock. And so if you're drilling, if you could picture there's, you know, your rock and then all of a sudden you have a, a big crack, well, your, your fluid is going to go to the path of least resistance. So if you're drilling with an expensive fluid and you drill into a fracture, you are going to experience, which is known as lost returns or lost circulation. Uh, that can pose some challenges and, you know, there's some remedial things we can do on the drilling fluid side, uh, such as pumping lost circulation material. So it's basically a bunch of material um, made up of different sizes and, and materials that you add to it to, to help heal the fractures. Um, and then you can also get a frac hit. And because there's so much activity out in the Permian and in the Delaware, um, people are fracking wells so close to each other now that there's often, they call it communication. And so if you can picture, if you're drilling your well and you've got uh, another well X amount of miles away and they do it, they, they do a fracture stimulation, they pump all this high pressure rock or high pressure material down hole to open it up. Well, they may open it up all the way to your well. And so you may actually experience uh, an influx of someone else's frac uh, fluid into your own and so there's you know then have to increase your density or there, there's a few things that happen but but typically you're you'll start taking flow and you'll have to increase your density um those two are, are i would say hitting a fracture uh, and losing returns a little more common but certainly those are the two main issues that we would experience uh, in the delaware I yeah mean, and, and frac hits i think you know you hear operators say, you know, we try and talk to the neighbors and change our schedule so that right. somebody isn't drilling while somebody else is fracking. And then, you know, you, it's kind of interesting because some of them roll their eyes and say, well, you know, these guys won't tell us what they're doing. Sort of, yeah, you know, like someone's holding their cards too close to the vest and everyone gets frustrated around them. But um, yeah, I, I think because it is such a frustration, there's a bit more kind of cooperation on the operator side and, and who they're drilling near yeah um but uh yeah so anyways i, did, I didn't want to overlook that stuff no that's very know. important i yeah i totally skipped over that but i'm glad you brought that up and in in talking about that too communication amongst operators is very important and i think there's even software out there that uh shows you know where wells are and where there's current um uh, you know completions operations going on so so I think nowadays it's probably better um, with, with, her, with regards to knowing what your neighbors are doing because uh, the last thing you need to do is be drilling a well and, and you're getting fracked into left, right, and center. That can pose some serious challenges. Um, so yeah, like, you know, again, going back now, so uh, we drill, um, you know, so, you know, assuming that there's not any major issues, we get to TD and we clean the hole, we come out and we run, which is known as production casing. Um, in in where we're drilling out in the Delaware, uh, there's two types. There's a there's you can drill you can run like a production liner, uh, production casing, which goes all the way to surface, or uh, you can do a packer assembly. But again, you run your production casing, and you go ahead and you cement that, and um, the size of that's going to be smaller. Again, normally it's five and a half inch production casing. And uh, what a lot of folks are doing is because if you can picture, you're going out so far, uh, like normally you would run your casing and you would fill it with fluid and you would just kind of sink it in. 
Well, now they're doing what's called as floating casing. So it's basically the casing is hollow. They don't put any fluid in there and they'll drill. And, and, and what the reason for that is just because the, there's so much friction down there, it doesn't always want to slide to bottom. So if you create more buoyancy, your casing will literally kind of float along the lateral and it'll get hopefully to TD. Um, oftentimes you have to break the, what they call an airlock. So you'll put fluid inside and then you can start circulating fluid down the casing and then outside the annulus. Uh, but that's typically how that works. You run casing and you go ahead and you do your cement job. Uh, and then after that, Matt, what happens after that? Or is there anything that I missed? No, I think you got it. I mean, you know, I, I think some of the interesting thing when we get to hole size, uh, as I mentioned, you know, that whatever pipe size we're going to use down here dictates every other hole size we use above it. That's right. Um, and so, uh, you know, a lot of folks, it, you know, there are some folks that go smaller. I hear lots of eye rolls just because when you go to frack, uh, which, you know, so we have our casing cemented um, and normally the rig moves away. Um, you know, it's, it's left with um and and a crew comes on later to fracture it sometimes they don't ever do that which there's kind of a tally of what are called ducks or drilling uncompleted um but if we go to complete or actually you know stimulate the well to bring it on um what they're going to do is they're going to run some what we call them guns perforate a section of well pump this fluid at high pressure um and the thing is if i have narrower pipe i can't get as much pressure because i have more Mm. friction Right. So, um, but you do, you know, you would, you would pump that section, set a plug above that, perforate another section. And we call those stages, do the same thing, isolate that one. And then we want to bring the well on. We'll actually come in with, um, usually a cheap little workover rig, or you could even do this on what's called coiled tubing, but not a full size drilling rig come in. We'll drill out all those plugs. Um, and then, uh, clean out the well, and now it's ready to come on production. That's right. Um, so I, I think that's you know sort of the, the big picture of things. Yeah. But let's make it even more complicated, Justin. Tell me yeah. about what, what it's like when we batch drill. Yeah, batch drilling. So that that's something that, uh, and it's probably been around for longer than this. But I experienced it uh, way back when I was in the Marcellus back in 2010. Uh, it's it, what it is, is, is you drill, because if you're drilling on a pad, you're typically, and a pad is, is, is basically a number of wells on one location, and it can be anywhere from two to four, and this sounds crazy, but uh, one of the, my customers is actually developing a 69-well pad. Now, this pad is, is huge, but you, it's, you can drill a number of wells on a single location. Um, and so what they'll do is, to keep it uh, consistent, is they'll drill all the surface holes back to back to back to back and, and the reason for that is logistically it's, it's just more efficient their cycle times are faster i'm not an operator so i can't get into the economics as to why from a business sense it makes makes sense but it's just it's it's simple so you drill your surface holes boom 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 which sometimes you'll have a sputter rig come and do all of them and then you'll have a bigger rig come in and knock out all the intermediate sections boom 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 you do those and then uh, you come around, you, and then you'll drill all your lateral sections. So you're not drilling right from spud, which is you know surface, all the way to TD. Some operators are. I have a customer that, that does it, and they find it works better to drill the whole entire well one at a time versus doing all surface holes and intermediates and then lateral. So it just depends on the operator and, and kind of how they have their business structured. But it can get confusing, um, but where it, it helps on the drilling fluid side is 
you have one system for each of those sections. So you can keep the system and instead of having to do a bunch of fluids management, you know, changing out fluids from one to the next because you're drilling with spud mud, then you're drilling with a brine or a cut brine or a direct emulsion or an MMH. Uh, so there's a lot of moving parts, but if you can keep it simple and drill the same interval uh, back back, it just makes things a little bit more efficient. Yeah. Same size tools, same casing over yeah. and over. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one way to think about it too is let's say you start at well one. Well one, I skid over to well two, to well three, and these rigs can walk. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, so it doesn't take long. I mean, it takes hours to move. Mm-hmm. But I go one, two, three, and then I drill, then I've done all my my three surface. So now I'll drill my intermediate while I'm standing over three. Yeah. And then walk to two and drill intermediate on two. Right. And then go back to one yeah. and drill my intermediate. And then I'll drill my production on that well. Then go to the next well, drill production there, and then go to three and drill production. So yeah. you're kind of zigzagging back and forth. Yeah, and, and the technology that's gone into rig uh, is phenomenal. I was watching a video actually um, online, and it, it just happened to be precision drilling. And it, I would imagine a lot of rigs have walking rigs, but they they had a video that they kind of walk. They took you through the process of how it moved, and and uh, some move forward and back, some move side to side. And now the technology with a lot of these drilling contractors is, is they can literally like move around and, and like, so, and the, it's interesting because like your mud tanks and your, um, your pump houses, your tool houses, all the, all the shacks uh, is what I call them. Um, they all stay in one place and then it's connected through a bunch of little catwalks and this, I don't know how to describe, but it's basically, um, like a walkway moves mm-hmm. around with the rig. And so uh, if you're not familiar with that, I would encourage you to Google it um, and, and check out the videos. Cause it's actually, it's, it's, it's fascinating on how these rigs can walk around for a lack of better terms. But uh, yeah. And that just makes it a little easier and more efficient and, and to help reduce the cycle times between wells. And, uh, but yeah, it can get confusing, you know, especially from an accounting perspective and yeah, our accountants hate this part. Yeah. And the well names, uh, the only the only differentiator is one number. So, you know, it could be um, Justin Matt Well One, Justin mm-hmm. Matt Well Two, Justin Matt Well Three, and so you really have to keep track of where you are. Um, and then and it's and these wells are not that far apart. They're anywhere's I don't know, maybe fifty, sixty feet apart, ten, twenty feet apart. I mean, it probably depends, but they're not that far apart. And then they just drill in different directions and they maximize the amount of uh, production they can get out of them. Anything else, buddy? You know, I can't. I, I mean, I hope we did. Hopefully, we didn't confuse anybody too much. <laughs> right. But uh, you know, hopefully, that gives you a you know a thirty thousand foot description of of everything that comes into play. And and honestly, we're selling it short because it's way more complicated than that. Yeah, there's there's um, so many different things and, and out there. And, and the listeners who are uh, very technically savvy and who are very operationally strong. I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there that would love to give their two cents, and we certainly, certainly welcome it. But uh, for all the other listeners out there, if if, you're, if there's something that um, didn't really make sense, or if you'd like for us to elaborate on a certain topic, um, we're mud folks, but we certainly have a decent understanding of what goes on outside of our our little mud world. So uh, we welcome questions. If you please uh, hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at aesfluids.com. Matt, any closing last words? No. Awesome. Well, again, appreciate all the support, everybody. Uh, Have a safe and wonderful day. Take care. See ya. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. 
And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.